All right, I've titled the lesson this morning, Religion and the Savior. Religion and the Savior. I want to look at religion with the Savior and religion without the Savior. And then look at the Savior himself. Now, I think it's safe to say that the whole earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus was a, a time of, of suffering. He suffered humiliation, being clothed in the, in the flesh, limiting himself to the weakness of our flesh, being made a servant of his father, the servant for his people. That was a time of, of suffering for him. But our text this morning is the beginning of his soul suffering, his suffering unto death. Now, as always, there are two groups of people in the scene. There's believers and unbelievers. And the whole issue for both of them, whether they know it or not, the whole issue is Christ. Christ is the whole issue in spiritual life. He is the whole issue in salvation. Christ is the whole issue to the ultimate end of both believer and unbeliever. Christ is the only issue. And I hope we'll always make Christ the only issue here, the only issue in our worship, the only issue in our religion, because we're going to look at this here in a minute. Boy, you get in trouble and you start getting some other issues and start trying to, to look and deal with some other things. I'm thankful that's the attitude that the Lord's given us here, and I pray it'll be especially true after looking at uh, our text this morning. So the first thing I want to look at is the unbelievers who are at this event, the, the taking of our Lord. <clears throat> our text begins in verse 47 of Matthew 26. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude, with swords and staves, and from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him, him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And look down at verse 55. And that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you laid uh, no hold on me. Now, this is a group of unbelievers, and before we get to Judas, Judas is kind of the obvious thing people look at here, but before we get to him, let's look at this mob who came with Judas to take our Lord. Now, this is not a bunch of low-life ruffians. You know, this is not like the mafia or something, you know, of, of that day. These are religious people. They were sent by the chief priests. These were friends, people known to the chief priests, to the religious leaders of Israel. I'm sure these men were, were very orthodox in their in the, that Jewish religion. I'm sure they were very sincere in all their religious activity. I'm just pretty confident that their lives were centered around the sacrifices and the ceremonies. Their life was centered around the temple and the, the Sabbath day and so forth. They were very serious in their religion, but they had religion without Christ. They were so set on having their own righteousness, which came from, from them following the laws and observing all these ceremonies. They were so set on having that that, that 
they earned by following the ceremonies or that they just received because they were born a, a son of Abraham. They were so set on having those things. They're so set on having salvation in that way that they hated the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the way people are in religion to this day. They're not indifferent. They're not misinformed about Jesus. They hate him. This group hated him so much they came out against him with swords and staves. Now this large group, they had no trouble taking one man. Why did they come out with swords and staves? Because they hoped they could put them to use. That's why. They found no shortage of people to join this mob to come out against the Lord Jesus because they hated him. And they hated the Lord because they hated his message. They heard his message, they understood it, and they hated it. The message that Christ preaches, your righteousness cannot come by your works of the law. It can't come from following the ceremonies. It can't come from being related to Abraham. It can't come from anything from the flesh. Righteousness can only come by faith in Christ. It's the gift of God. Righteousness can only come by Christ keeping the law for you, by doing what you can't do, keeping the law for you. And they hated that message. When Christ came and told them salvation is not in these ceremonies, it's not in the animal sacrifices, but it's in the blood of Christ, the blood of the Lamb of God, they hated him because his message destroyed the foundation of what they were hoping in. It took away all hope in the flesh. It took away their foundation. It took away what they wanted, and they hated him. See, the issue is Christ. Is he my salvation or is it something I can earn? The issue is Christ and they hated him for it. They had religion without Christ. Now, the only use that any of us can get out of, of seeing that, what they had, is that this be a warning to you and me. This very easily could be us and don't you think it could? The Jews, you think of them. They started out, I mean, they started out with Abraham, but you think when, when they came out of, out of Egypt as a, as a large nation, this is the first time they're a large nation. They came out with the tabernacle, the priesthood, the prophet. They had Moses. God Almighty spoke to Moses, and he turned around and told the people what God just said. God spoke to Moses. They, they had the priesthood. They had the prophets. They had the law. God gave that law to Moses. He gave it to the people. They had the ceremonies. They had the Day of Atonement. They had the Passover. Oh, they saw the power of that first Passover when God passed through the land and set them free with it with a mighty arm. They were the only nation on earth given the true worship of God. Every other nation was steeped in idolatry. And they took what God gave them, that pure worship of God, and they polluted it into pure self-righteousness. That's human nature. Now compare that to us now. I'm talking Hurricane Road Grace Church, us, us, us right here. We've been given the completed word of God. Even Israel didn't have that. They just had the first five books, didn't they, the Bible? We've been given the completed word of God. We've been given the message of salvation by grace through faith that's been preached to us by some of the best preachers who ever preached the gospel. <clears throat> We've been surrounded, most of us growing up around here, we've been surrounded by faithful believers from different generations. You think what God's given us. 
we need to be mighty careful not to pollute that. Don't get so full of ourselves that we pollute what God has given us and turn it into a self-righteous, hypocritical religious show. (laughs) If you take away Christ, that's exactly what we'll have. A self-righteous, hypocritical religious show. If something besides Christ alone becomes the issue here, that's exactly what we'll have. I'm, I'm telling you, it'll just be a religious show. I got a TV with a cable box connected to it with, I don't know, 100 stations. I don't know how many stations are on it. I got enough shows. Don't you? I need Christ. We need Christ. Well, that's these, these, this mob. They had their religion without Christ. And the man leading them out was Judas. Judas was a hypocrite. And he was a religious man too, wasn't he? He was one of the 12. He sent out to preach. He sent out to perform these miracles and different things. He did those things. He preached. He was the treasurer. He performed miracles. But Judas also had religion without Christ. Now, we know Judas was a reprobate from the beginning. That's what scripture says. He he didn't love Christ. He didn't believe Christ. But boy, he made a good outward show, didn't he? He made a good outward show of, of this religion. He made a good outward show of loving Christ. But Judas was a hypocrite. He sold out his master for the price of a slave. 30 pieces of silver. He leads this mob out. He's, he's already agreed secretly to sell out his master. He leads this mob out and he comes and kisses the master on the cheek. He kisses the Lord himself on the cheek and says, Hail, master. And I tell you what that greeting meant. It meant joy and peace to you, master. Now he meant anything but. Didn't he? he meant the opposite of that. He's a hypocrite. He's making a good show of love for Christ. But his heart was hard and dead and full of hatred for Christ. And uh, Judas, by far, was not the last religious hypocrite. The most despicable and the most dangerous people you and I will ever meet are religious hypocrites. They pretend to kiss you while they hate you. They pretend to, to hug you just so they can stab you in the back. I mean, just being completely honest, just, just you and me talking here. There's some folks I just soon not hug me because I'm afraid I could get that stiletto out of my back, you know, before they're done. I've, you know, they're, they're religious hypocrites. Now, a hypocrite, you got to remember this, is an actor. It can be hard to spot them because they're good at being deceitful. They're good at covering this thing up and, and playing the, the part that they want you to see. The hateful mob with their swords and their staves and hatred in their eyes, they're easy to spot. You can see them coming from 100 miles away. But Judas, not so much. Not so much. This is the very reason our Lord said, you beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, what are they? Ravening wolves. That disguise, that sheep's clothing can make them hard to spot. They know the lingo. They know the words. That, you know, they know what, what you'll accept and what you'll reject. They know the way to act. 
But inwardly, I mean, they might look like a sheep outwardly, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. And outward religion without Christ in the heart will lead to hypocrisy and it'll lead to hatred every single time. Every time. Listen, it's not enough to know the right doctrines. It's not enough to know the right definitions of words like grace and mercy and peace. I hope you do know the right definition. I hope you do know the right doctrine. But that's not enough. Not not for salvation, it's not. It's not enough to bear the name of Jesus on our lips. Any hypocrite can do that. Any hypocrite can. Salvation is having Christ formed in the heart. It's not enough to make our friends impressed with us. I mean, honestly, I want you to like me, you know. (laughs) But it's not enough to make our friends impressed with us. It's not enough to make our friends think, oh, you know, he knows the Lord. Any hypocrite can do that. Judas did. The other 12 thought he was one of them. When the Lord said, one of you is going to betray me, not one of them said, Judas. I I have my eye on him. They all said, is it me? (laughs) They they never thought of Judas. Judas, he, he, he tricked them that way. Salvation is not just knowing the name of Jesus and using the name of Jesus. Salvation is knowing Christ, knowing him whom the Father has sent and trusting our salvation to him in the heart. See, this thing's in the heart. It's not just for show. It's in the heart. Now, what's in the heart will come out and will be seen, but this is not just outward. It's what's in the heart. And again, I point this out about Judas as a warning to each of us that we will genuinely seek the Lord, that will seek to know Christ, that will seek to know him and trust him that will that will be seeking God and asking God to do it do a heart work in me, so I don't end up being a religious hypocrite and end up just like Judas. Because I will if God don't keep me, I will if God's not the one doing the, the work in my heart. And the best safeguard that I can think of for that is to always and only preach Christ. To make Christ the issue. If we know him. God's pleased to, to, to reveal his son to people by the preaching of Christ. Well, if we know him, we'll trust him from the heart and won't become the, this religious hypocrite. So whether you're a, a believer that, that's a openly hatred or an, excuse me, an unbeliever who's openly hatred of Christ or you're an unbeliever that's a religious hypocrite, what's the issue? It's Christ. Who do you need? You need Christ. You need somebody preaching to you. You need God to reveal him to you and form him in your heart. The issue is Christ. He's what we needed. All right, second, let's look at the believers who were there when the Lord was taken. And the issue for them is Christ too. Look at verse 56. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled, that all the disciples forsook him and fled. Now, these other 11, they were religious men too. You know, when Peter said, Lord, we've given up all and followed you, he wasn't whistling Dixie. They had. They'd given up all and followed Christ. They were with the Lord for three and a half years. They heard Christ himself preach. 
He sat with them privately, teaching them the scriptures, teaching them who he was. And they believed on him. Now, I know Peter was a spokesman, but they all amended. This is what they all said. We believe and we're sure thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. We believe that. We're sure of it. The Lord has saved these men and given them faith in Christ. And just like all of us, their faith was often weak, wasn't it? These men believed on Christ. They did. Yet they got scared and fled and left their master all alone with drop of hat. And when did they do that? Hours after swearing. These others will leave you. I won't. I'll die with you. Just a couple hours later, they're running away in fear. I'll tell you what this shows. Not just the 11, what it shows to you and me. How dependent we are on Christ at all times. We are, you, you know, everybody in this room knows this. We're dependent on Christ to save us, aren't we? We know we're, he's got to save us or we'll be lost. You know, we're just as dependent on him to keep us saved. It's all like God saves us and then we keep ourselves saved by our faithfulness and our good works and our, you know, orthodoxy and all these things. No, we're dependent on Christ to save us and we're dependent on him to keep us saved. If he don't hold us in his hand, we won't be there. There is just no end to the evil that a believer will do. There's no end to the harm that we will cause if the Lord doesn't keep us from it. Christ is our only righteousness. He's all, all of our salvation and our works and our faithfulness don't enter into the equation at any point. Not as far as salvation is concerned. Now, every believer knows this. When the Lord saves us, he gives us faith in Christ, doesn't he? He gives us faith. That's part of the, part of the new birth. But, and we can say that I do, I do trust Christ. I do. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. But our faith is almost always weak, isn't it? Almost always. I don't know any believer who is satisfied with the strength of their faith, or at least he'll say so publicly. Nobody's honestly satisfied with the strength of our faith. But in this matter of faith, do you know Christ is the issue? Whether it's in giving us faith or our weak faith, Christ is the issue. The best cure is is the faithful preaching of Christ alone. How does God give faith in Christ as people? By the preaching of Christ. Somebody's got to tell us who he is. You can't believe in who you haven't heard. Somebody's got to tell us who he is. And boy, if somebody tells us who he is, and God's pleased to take that message and apply it to our hearts, we'll believe him. We'll have faith. This is the way God gives faith to his people. It's the preaching of Christ. And we all have loved ones who don't know the Lord. Children and loved ones and these things. What, what, what can we do for them? Preach Christ. Preach Christ. The only way they're going to come to believe him, somebody makes Christ the issue and preaches Christ to them. That's how God gives faith to his people. 
Well, what about what about God's people? Who's they're ashamed of their faith? It's weak faith. What can we do for them? Well, the issue is Christ. Tell you what we can do for them. We can preach Christ and Him crucified. We come in here just struggling to get in here with our our weak faith and fighting our flesh. And when we get here, what's the issue? It's Christ. He's the issue. We need to preach him. And the more we hear of Christ, now I'm talking about God's God's little lambs, his, his weak faith believers, oh ye of little faith, the more we hear of Christ, the more we'll trust him. The more we're reminded of him, the more we're reminded to trust him. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how God is pleased to give faith to his people. Well, faith grows the same way by hearing. And the more we learn of Christ, the more we'll lean on him, the more we'll trust him. So in the matter of weak faith, Christ is the issue. In the matter of being given faith, Christ is the issue. In a matter of weak faith, Christ is the issue. What can you do for both of those people? Preach Christ to them. Now, like I said at the at the beginning of the lesson, this is the beginning of the Lord's soul suffering. Why is he doing it? Why is he in the in the coming weeks? We'll look at, at uh, great detail of his suffering. Why is he doing it? Why is he giving himself to, to suffering like this? Why would he suffer like this? Paul says he suffers for our offenses. He was delivered for our offenses. Delivered to the Jews. Delivered to the Romans. And more importantly, delivered to his father's justice. He was delivered for our offenses. To pay for our offenses. To put the sin and offenses of his people away that ought to make us want to trust him shouldn't it (laughs) he did that for his people he's doing this for his people here's the other thing I want us to see a way that Christ is the only issue we're fighting a spiritual warfare here we are we're fighting a spiritual warfare look at verse 51 and behold one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest, and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword in his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Now, there is a time for the sword. There's a a time that wars are necessary for countries to defend our freedom and, and so forth, put down evil. But this is not one of those times. This there in the garden was not one of those times. And what we do here in the worship of our God, in the service of our God, in the preaching of the gospel, that this is not one of those times either. This is a spiritual warfare. It's not, it's not an earthly warfare. It's not a war against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual warfare. The kingdom of God cannot be advanced by human means and human might. Can't be done. Souls are not won to Christ by our psychological warfare, all of our psychological tricks to get people to to feel religious and get them to do something. That's not how God saves his people. 
Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians ten. Well, I'm in First Corinthians. Let me get to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians ten, verse three. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Our weapons, we're not fighting flesh, so we don't have fleshly weapons. This is what Paul is saying. This is our only weapon. This is our only sword. (laughs) It's the preaching of Christ. It's the preaching of God's gospel. Our only weapon. Now we're in warfare. We're fighting not for the bodies of men, for the souls of men. And our only weapon, the only thing that will reach that soul is the word of God. So in this matter of establishing and building the kingdom of God and saving God's people and building up God's people, what's the issue? It's Christ, isn't it? He's the only issue. All right, third, I want us to look at the Savior who was there and who was taken away. Now, this is important to always remember. Everything done in this night and in in the coming days and really all times and everywhere and all of of human history, all of eternity, everything that was done, here we're talking specifically about this night, was done to accomplish the will of God. Look at verse 46. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came with a great multitude of swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the Lord knew this mob was coming before anybody heard them. The Lord knew they were coming. It was nighttime. He, He could have run away and hid, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He stayed there and was taken. You know why he was taken? Because that's his will. That's the whole reason he came here in the first place. Look at verse 53. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? And how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. See, it must be this way. This is why I came. Now, the disciples fled in fear, didn't they? But even that was the will of God. Even that was the will of God. Christ had to suffer alone so that he was the only one who would get any credit for the salvation of his people. If those other 11 suffered with him, we'd say, oh, look at, look at Jesus and the martyrs, how they you know, suffered. It can't be. It has to be Christ alone. If you look over, look at John chapter 18. You know, the disciples fleeing, that was the will of God. But you know, it was also the Lord's will that those disciples flee as a picture of substitution. Look here at uh, 
At verse 8, Jesus answered, I've told you that I am. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. That mob came to take the Lord with all their swords and staves and thought they were in power and he's the one ordering them around. Let these go. As a picture of substitution, take me and let them go free. All right, the next thing, all this is being done according to, to God's will, to the will of the Savior. Second, I want to see how the, the Lord condescends to his people. You think how far down the Lord had to stoop to allow Judas to kiss him on the cheek. Now, he did that for, for his reasons, for that the scriptures might be fulfilled to, to fulfill his will. But do you know who else can come and kiss Christ? His people at all times. Matter of fact, we're commanded to do that. Psalm 2, verse 12, kiss the son. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Kiss the son. Come, kiss the son. Now I venture to say when believers come, they kiss the son. They're going to kiss his feet, not his cheek, but you come kiss the son. He condescends to allow his people to do that into his presence, to kiss him. And third, last, I want us to see the compassion of the Savior. Now, you know the Lord's allowing himself to be taken. He says, let these go their way. Take me, let these go their way. That's his compassion and his love for his people. But our Savior's compassionate. He's compassionate. There's nobody in hell that can be there because the Lord was not compassionate. Not one of them can say that. Luke tells us that Peter cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. And Luke said, the Lord touched him and healed his ear. Would you do that for a man come to torture you and kill you? I mean, maybe I shouldn't say this to my shame, but I wouldn't. The Savior did is compassion. And I see a picture of salvation there. Isn't that what the Savior does for all of his people? We're born with a nature that hates the Lord, that would take him off the throne if we could. We're right with that crowd. Crucify him and give us Barabbas. I'll not have this man to reign over me. And in compassion, he touches us. He heals us. He saves us. The songwriter said, oh, he touched me. <laughs> oh, he touched me. And nothing's been the same since. <laughs> you think of the compassion that the Lord has on his people. Here he's allowing himself to be taken so he can give himself to put away the sin of his people. Now you think of the, how solemn that is. You think of the enormity of that. You who believe that he'd do that for you. How can we ever allow anything but Christ to be the issue? God help us that we don't. All right, Lord bless you.